Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. On this week's episode of the 8311 cast, we're going to be bringing you things about the NBA, tennis, Formula One, the weekly turtle tab, Major League Baseball, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions. This is coming to you into your beautiful ears from your hosts. Mike Ludwig, Kyle Mersch, and Wyatt Teeter. So, but before we get into the actual sports, we have to see this, this, the saddest four days in sports are over. As you heard about last week, they were coming. What, what did you all do to survive those saddest four days in sports, Monday through Thursday last week? What did you all do to stay in there? I was so bored that I literally watched paint dry. <laughs> I painted oh, a table. And then, and then watched it dry? Yep, and then watched it dry and waited so that I could put on the, the top coat. Was it a nice table? Uh, it's a table that's going in my apartment, so... It's like a coffee table? Like a, like a nah, side table? Nah, a sofa it's, it's table? Like, it's, like, it's like a kitchen table. Like oh, a table table. Nice. Why'd you paint also, it? Uh, because it was, it was a um, very gross, almost urine-colored yellow. Sounds so, good to me. Painted it a different color. Sounds good with the school you're going to. <laughs> Purdue more like Perdon't. Uh, uh, I haven't heard that one before. Almost like, hey, you're not in Kansas anymore, except for the fact that I am in Kansas right now. So hot, suck it. Well, you also hail from Kansas, which is why the joke's a thing, Kyle. Anyway, not what every, did you what did you do? Everybody wears red slippers. <laughs> there, there will be slippers, Kyle. Ooh. I found out that the Iowa Department of Transportation has a publicly accessible uh, data repository of all of their traffic sensing radars and, and other equipment they use to assess flows of traffic through urban areas. So if you're ever driving through town, in any urbanized area, not necessarily just in Iowa, you'll see these little uh, beige-looking rectangular things mounted on poles pointed at traffic, mm-hmm. or maybe there's these little induction loops running through the middle of uh, the middle of a highway that you'll see, or sometimes you'll see these little rubber tubes that are strewn across the highway. Those all measure traffic, uh, traffic data, how fast mm-hmm. traffic's going, how much traffic is going through there to kind of plan for future construction projects and whatnot, and also to kind of figure out what's going on in the roadways, congestion and stuff. Mm-hmm. All of that data is publicly accessible in like a super easy to find format, and I was like, that is so cool because I like data and it's all real time stuff. So that's what I did over my my four days of. Nice. Sad sports. So I actually have known that since sophomore year. Why didn't you tell us that? Because I just found it one night randomly, and oh, then oh, I oh. never remembered to tell everybody about it. That's cool stuff. I would have loved to look at that. Yeah, I mean, it's really like when I found it, then I looked up the like this K dot Kansas DOT and Mo dot Missouri DOT, and theirs are way less user friendly than yeah. I was. So, so I guess I didn't know they have actual, like, do they have, like, maps and stuff? I just found, like, yeah. the raw data, and I was like, they, I'm going to parse that myself. There's, like, sometimes they do maps with just um, density of travel. So, like, ah. you can actually track real-time. What, well, I guess not real-time, but you can kind of monitor traffic flow during, like, peak peak travel times. Oh, that's cool. They have, like, a, all, all of their data is refreshed minute by minute. Every single minute is refreshed okay. here. I actually it's know so one, of cool. the, one of the people who worked as, 
like as an intern as a civil engineer for KDOT, and that's literally all he did was keep that data source up to date. That's nice. Also, nice. shout out to Iowa State University. They're the ones who helped do this project with the Iowa DOT and not the University of Iowa, so go ISU. Let's go talk about some sports now because we spent way too much time talking about traffic. But traffic's so much more interesting than sports, right? No, you probably definitely spend more, not. You probably spend more time sitting in traffic in your life than watching sports. That's an unfortunate fact. That is an unfortunate fact. But anyway, NBA free agency slash free agency season continued to uh, keep going this week. Um, the biggest move was Russell Westbrook. Um, we talked last week how he's probably going to get traded. He was traded, not to the Heat like many suspected, but he actually got traded to the Houston Rockets. Um, the Rockets gave up two first-round picks, two pick swaps, and Chris Paul to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder for that move. So basically, the uh, Rockets got a point guard who's uh, under contract for one year more, who's four years younger than Chris Paul, uh, and they gave up two first-round picks and two pick swaps uh, to do that. So it definitely makes the, the Rockets better. Um, the Thunder are definitely um, are definitely going into a building boat now. I assume they're going to trade Chris Paul as well. Kyle, isn't that what you'd expect? Is that Chris Paul will be on the move? Maybe he'll end up in Miami? I would assume so. But for right now, OKC wants Tyler Hero from Miami. And um, since Tyler Hero is playing phenomenally in the summer league and was Miami's first round draft pick this year. Uh, they are it apparently, according to reports, nowhere near a deal to acquire Chris Paul from OKC because OKC pretty much only wants Tyler hero okay. to build around. He's from Kentucky, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. He was from Kentucky. He's, he's really great. He's a very good sharp, sharpshooter and he's, got some very good size on okay. the wing. So he okay. was really a four, but he can play either the two or the three in the NBA, really. Okay. If he needs to. Okay. Almost and, as versatile as, like, Ben Simmons. Okay. But a lot better shooter. Right. Do, do you know who else could be versatile like Ben Simmons? Taylor Horton Tucker. Taylor Horton Tucker. And Taylor Horton Tucker uh, this week signed his uh, contract with the Lakers. Two years, $2.4 million. Um, I did not see that it was a two-way contract, which means that's a full um, NBA contract there. So he will be on the Lakers roster. So he will be uh, part of that LeBron James, Anthony Davis chasing a championship team. So it'll be interesting to see how much playing time he gets on the Lakers. But we can add that to one more cyclone in the NBA here for this year as he will be on the Lakers roster, I guess, unless they cut him. But when they sign him for that much money, they ain't going to cut him. So, Taylor Horton Tucker, the next cyclone, who will be on an NBA roster this year. Um, one more random cyclone-esque note. So there's an article on ESPN.com uh, right now um, as college football season starts to... Uh, people start to think about college football again. It's by... Uh, Writer Dave Wilson. It's called The Petty, Wonderful, and Delightfully Weird Rise of Horns Down. If you've been following uh, 8311 cast from the beginning, you know we're uh, big fans of that uh, of that Horns Down. So take a look at that. Take a look at that article if you're uh, interested in how Horns Down got started. Horns Down, no Texas. Horns Down. Horns That's down all I have forever. to say. I agree. 
Kyle, you wanted to talk about tennis? That was in the intro. That's what I heard. I was actually paying attention to the intro, so I know what we're going to talk about this time. I mean, I was paying attention to the intro as well. Well, that's good. Sometimes you don't. And And then I just have to start a segment that you were going to start because you didn't realize that we, you know, like started. And one of my favorite sports just finished up their oldest Grand Slam. That is tennis. Um, And what an amazing uh, tournament it was. Wimbledon is... Of course, the um, the oldest Grand Slam in the ATP uh, tour, and the it did not disappoint. Um, so I'll just give us a brief recap of the semis and the finals, uh, since it'll get too much in depth to go over the entire tournament as a whole. Uh, so in the semis, um, on the men's side, uh, Roberto Batista Agut. Um, went up against Novak Djokovic. Djokovic was the number one overall seed in this tournament. Um, in this tournament, Djokovic only dropped a game in the se- in his semifinal match against Agut, um, who is the number twenty, who is the twenty third overall um, player on the tour. I believe I am checking that right now, and yes, he is. He is twenty three in the world right now. Um, against Novak Djokovic, who was obviously number one. Um, and it was a great match, but that was the first uh, game that Djokovic dropped um, on his way to the final. Um, of course, Djokovic ended up winning that match um, three sets to one. Um, in the other semifinal match, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, the number two and three overall seeds, uh, Rafa being the third overall seed and Roger obviously being the second overall seed. They met in another blockbuster match between the two of them. This one also went uh, four sets as well with Roger Federer prevailing um, over Rafa Nadal. The first game went to a tie break. So if um, a lot of our listeners are unaware about tennis, a tie break means that both players reached six games apiece in the first, or yeah, six games apiece in a piece in the first overall um, game in the first uh, game of the set. Um, so they have to go to a tie break. In the tie break, then they each uh, point counts as one point in the tie break, and in order to win the tie break, it's the first to seven, but you have to win by two. Uh, Roger Federer ended up winning that. Then Rafa Nadal stormed back and beat Federer in the second game, 6-1. to one. Um, But then Roger had a pretty easy uh, time getting through the rest of the match. So this set up one of the greatest Wimbledon finals that we've seen on in grass court history. Uh, so this final was an epic five-set match um, in which Novak Djokovic eventually won. Um, so just, uh, a little bit of a stat about Djokovic. This is his 16th Grand Slam title, which puts him too short of, too shy of Rafa Nadal and four shy of Roger Federer. Um, but here I found and compiled five interesting facts about this. I like um, facts. Yeah. So you'll like these five interesting facts about this, uh, five 
mindset match in the Wimbledon final. So one, it was a test of endurance for both players. So the match itself clocked in at four hours and 55 minutes, which is the longest match in Wimbledon final history. Uh, and it broke the previous record set by Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal back in 2008. So just think that you are on a court playing for four hours and 55 minutes. What other sport ever goes for four hours and 55 minutes except for a baseball game that potentially, say, that potentially goes at least 15 or 16 innings? Well, uh, the uh, Dodgers and Red Sox played 11 innings and played for almost five hours on Sunday okay. night. So, so. Sometimes, sometimes it can be just 11 innings, but... Generally, if the baseball game is pretty fast-paced, you have to have 13 innings to make it close to five hours of mm-hmm. an actual ball game. But this was the longest match in Wimbledon final history. So there was also a new rule that was implemented, but we will get to that a little bit later on in today's episode. So that was just a little bit of a tease. Sorry, we will skip fact number two until later. Fact number three Novak Djokovic goes back-to-back, so this is the second time in his career that he has won consecutive Wimbledon titles. He is the first to accomplish uh, this feat, or his first time accomplishing this feat was back in 2015 after he followed up his 2014 Wimbledon victory. So this overall um, win gives him his fifth Wimbledon title, um, which is pretty impressive to win a tournament five times in your career. Um, Fact number four, Novak Djokovic is 32 years old. He became the first man ever in the U.S., not in the U.S. Open, in the open era of tennis to defend a Wimbledon title. So the first person to defend, who's over 30 years old, to defend a Wimbledon title and go back to back. And fact number five is... Um, that uh, Novak Djokovic is 7-0 and against Federer, Roger Federer in Grand Slams when winning the first set. He is now 8-0 and because he won. So him winning the first set in this epic five-set match was crucial for his um, resilience in order to win this. Um, but the strange thing was he had never won the opening set and then lost a sec, like won the opening game and then lost the next game at a, with a score of six to one and then gone on to win the match. So this was the first time in his career that he won the opening set, lost the second set six, one or six Oh, and then ended up winning the rest of the match. We'll get into um, the crazy score that you will see if you look up the uh, final score when I talk about the new rule that is implemented in tennis. But the final score for the match was 7-6, in the tiebreak, 6-1, or 1-6, so Djokovic lost the second set, 7-6 with a 7-4 tiebreak, 4-6, and then 13-12 with a 7-3 tiebreak. Nice. Very nice. That was that was an epic. That was one of the best tennis fights. I watched some of that on Sunday morning slash afternoon. That was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen. That was, that was fun to watch on Sunday morning. But 
we're going to change gears a little bit from a sport that uh, is a little slower to one that definitely has a little more speed as we talk about the F1 here with our motorsports expert, Wyatt Tita. I would not say I'm an expert by any means. You, that's you, are, putting... you are our motorsports expert. <laughs> that's not saying a whole lot. I also no, appreciate your transition. I appreciate the transition of the whole gears and stuff because uh-huh. Formula One cars actually have gears. Yeah. Uh, eight or They're nine manuals. of them if you count the reverse gear. Did you know that Formula One cars are required to have a reverse gear? But why? It's, it's you, just... The goal is to go forwards really fast. It's the rules. I know that it's, much. It's them rules. you got to have a reverse gear. Okay. So this past week's race was in Britain at the Silverstone, Silverstone Circuit, which was also the, the same circuit that the inaugural Formula One race was held in back in 1950. That was the first season of Formula One. Fun fact for y'all. Uh, the starting grid was, um, I mean, no surprise, the big top three were up in there with Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton with a 1-2 start. Charles Leclerc, then Max Verstappen. Sebastian Vettel did end up starting six, which was kind of sad, but uh, honorable mention to McLaren. They're doing really good this season with Lando Norris at an eight and uh, Nico Hulkenberg at, at uh, 10 for Renault, I guess. I meant to talk about uh, Carlos Sainz back in 13th, but that's okay. We're about halfway through the season now. This was the 10th race this season out of the 21 races that they're going to have for the, the Formula One World and World Championship for constructors and drivers. Overall, it was a really entertaining race. A lot of actual racing in comparison to, uh, like, France a few weeks ago. That was a super boring race. This was a really good race. If you have a chance to go back and watch a replay of it, I would definitely recommend it. There were some actually really good wheel-to-wheel moments. Uh, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen were having to go with each other. Really good scrappy racing uh, throughout a majority of the the race itself. They were going back and forth, cutting in each other, in and, uh, in and out between each other. At one point in time, they both pitted at basically the same time, released about the same time, but Max Verstappen just happened to get about a meter ahead of Charles Leclerc, and they were going side-by-side side down the pit lane, which there isn't anything that says you can't race down the pit lane, but there is a speed limit. I want to say it's like 55 miles an hour, whatever the equivalent is in kilometers per hour that they're set at, but they were going at that speed exactly trying to pass each other through the pit lane, so that's always kind of entertaining to watch. Um, speaking of pitting, Red Bull Racing set the new fastest world record for a stopped pit stop, uh, they had one of their cars stopped and then going again out of the box in 1.91 seconds. Wait, wait, wait changing four, four tires. tires. Four tires. And, and gas. No Dang. gas. No oh, gas. no gas? Okay. They, they don't do gas in Formula anymore. Too dangerous. Okay. Too dangerous. They only do tires. They okay. start with whatever gas uh, they start with. But yeah, four tires, 1.91 seconds. That's impressive. To stop I can't the car. Cha- I, I can't change my tires that fast. Definitely. I can't either. You also don't have, I think it's three or four guys per wheel. You have a guy a guy to pull the tire off, a guy to take the the nut off, a guy to put the tire back on, and a guy with uh, the flashy light thing to actually make it go. Then you have two guys. You have a guy in the front and a guy in the back with the jacks, and you have a few other guys just kind of standing around the car looking cool. But I, yeah. I would be that guy. I'm good at standing around <laughs> looking cool. Same. Uh, yeah, four tires, 1.91 seconds. New world record. The previous world record was also set by Red Bull Racing in 20, 2015, 2016, I think, at 1.92 seconds. So they beat themselves by a hundredth of a second, which is still impressive. That's, that's awesome, actually. Um, the start of the race, the first half of it or so, started out with the two silver arrows, Mercedes duking it out, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton eventually took the lead. And an actual safety car came out on lap 21. I don't remember the last time a safety car actually came out. 
I think it's happened maybe once this season. We have we've had a few virtual safety cars and a few of the Grand Prix, but uh, I don't remember the last time an actual safety car came out. It's been a while. Um, this kind of bunched the cars back up together, so they got a real good start, bumper to bumper again when they restarted on the the lap a few afterwards, which led to some more rubbing is racing. Um, the scrappiness between Charles Leclerc and uh, um, sorry Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen was all for naught though. As Max Verstappen got around Sebastian Vettel later in the race after the safety car, and Sebastian Vettel locked up, breaking into a corner and slammed right into Max Verstappen, sending them both off the track and ultimately <laughs> ruining any chance that Max Verstappen had of getting a, a, a really good finish. Uh, he did end up finishing in fourth, which isn't bad by any means, but he, w- he would have had a much better place if he wasn't hit by a Seb. Um, there was three retirements in the race. Two of them were from Haas. Uh, Roman Groschan and Kevin, Kevin Magnussen ran into each other. They're both teammates, kind of duking it out. They had the same issue in the Spanish Grand Prix where they were they, they wrecked themselves, literally, and were pulled out of the race, which was really sad. They uh, did the same thing here, punctured their tires, got new tires on, but the damage done to the punctured tires to, to the rest of the body was too much. They ended up pulling them out. And um, this is really sad. Haas is going through a, kind of a struggling time at the moment. They're... Title sponsor, Rich Energy. It's a wannabe energy drink company. It's basically just this one guy that's trying to be cool with a bunch of money. And he started up a business of energy drinks, but he doesn't... Like, you can't buy him anywhere. I have yet to see an actual store. It's a UK-based company, so I'm not going to see it, but to even see pictures of the drink on shelves anywhere, they just don't exist. This guy is a huge, huge... um, I can't say that... I can't say that either. He's he's a big meanie head, and <laughs> well said. Uh, it, it's just really frustrating. He, he's a really crappy guy. He promised Haas, Haas Racing uh, a bunch of money at the beginning of the season as a title sponsor for that season. They had a contract. He pulled out of it about a week or two ago. Reasons he, the, the CEO's reason was that Haas wasn't racing well, and it was absolutely ridiculous that they were behind Red Bull Racing and whatnot and all this stuff. Turns out a week later that he ran out of money and couldn't couldn't fund the team, but they won't publicly admit it. This company also stole their logo from another company in in Britain, uh, White Bikes. Literally the exact same logo. If you look up the Rich Energy logo and the White Bikes logo, they are identical. They lost a lawsuit over it and had to pay money over it. It's just crap. It's total crap. Anyway, they were supposed to be Haas's title sponsor. They pulled out, which is okay because Haas Manufacturing, which is the company behind uh, Haas Racing has a lot of money to p- fund them with, which is fine. But they're having a really, really trying, trying time. This is also Haas is the only American team that's racing Formula One right now. Also, fun fact: Silverstone came to an end. Hamilton bowled first place with Valtteri Bottas in second. Another, another Mercedes one-two finish. No surprises there. Charles Leclerc came in third um, with a podium finish. Pierre Gasly in fourth. Max Verstappen in fifth. Red Bull Racing. Huge shout-out to McLaren, Renault. They're doing amazing this year. Carlos Sainz came in sixth, and uh, while Lando had a bit more struggle of a race, he did come in 11th place. And out of the big three Red Bull Racing, Ferrari and Mercedes, um, McLaren is the next best team in constructor standings right now, which is awesome. They're doing fantastic. Hamilton won, got 25 points for getting first place, and then also set a fastest lap record on his very last lap before he took the checkered flag, which gave him an additional point. 
so he came came out of Britain uh, with 26 points. That's his home, his home turf. He's from the UK. Further padding his lead. He's now ahead of Valtteri Bottas by 39 points, exactly a race and a half. Um, so he, I, in my opinion, he has this uh, world constructor, world uh, drivers championship in the bag already. Not not officially, obviously, but he's won every single race but two, I think this this season. So that's uh, pretty much, uh, yeah, that's F1 right there. Everyone has points right now except for Williams. They're the only constructor with zero points. Even Antonio Giovinazzi has a single point, which is surprising in and of itself. But that's Formula 1 in the recap. Right, happens at the season right now. So Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Just a little riled up over the whole rich energy thing. It's just You should look it up. You should look it up. It's kind of an interesting blood-boiling uh, fiasco. Yeah, I'll probably take a look at it if I get bored at work tomorrow. <laughs> but something that's not as interesting as being halfway through the Formula One season is our weekly total tab. Because as we talked about last week, baseball savior Willens Astadio is still hurt. He is still out indefinitely. There's no timetable for his return. But he does still, uh, he's enjoying his time in the Major League dugout. Um, he likes to make fun of people. He's a, he's a big clown. He makes fun of people when they screw up. He, uh, he gets looks from, uh, umpire, from uh, umpires when he yells at them when he doesn't like the call they make. He's still enjoying his time in the big leagues, still having fun, which is fun. I like to see players having fun. So fun is good. Fun is good. Do you know what's not fun, Kyle? Um, the Royals, the Royals and are how they fun. play. The Royals yeah. are not fun. Yeah, I mean – you're not I mean, wrong. Base, baseball's fun. Baseball's fun. It, it's in, still in and fun. of itself. It's but. still fun to watch them play because there are players on the team who can hit, who can have really good and really special moments. So a really cool thing that happened this week, um, right after the All-Star uh, game, the Royals announced that they were bringing up one of their prospects named Bubba Starling. He actually Bubba. went to high school. While I was in high school, he was three years older than me. So he was there my freshman year um, at a high school, like one of our sister high schools, a little bit out in Hicktown. Um, But he was drafted in the first round by the Royals that year out of high school, decided to sign with them. And nine years later, he has made or nine or eight years later, whatever it is. He has made, finally made his appearance in the big leagues. He grew up in Kansas City, went to Royals baseball games all the time, participated in fun runs on the bases, and now he's running the bases for real. So it was a really special night for him to get uh, called up to the big leagues for his hometown team. Um, for every single bat, all 25,000 in attendance were standing. Um, they stayed even through the entire game. He didn't, he unfortunately didn't get his first hit until his, um, I believe it was his fourth or fifth at bat in uh, the second game that he started. Um, But now he is our starting center fielder, replacing Billy Hamilton, who is likely on his way out of Kansas city um, since he is on an, on an expiring one year contract. Um, In other uh, Royals news, um, just before he was scheduled to start a game on Sunday, Homer Bailey, uh, who was the actually one of the Royals' best starting pitchers this year, his numbers obviously don't prove that, but he actually had a positive win-loss. He was seven wins and six losses. Um, he 
was dealt to the A's for a middle infield prospect and I believe some cash considerations um, in that deal. But a fun fact that goes along with Homer Bailey, Mike, you love facts. So the Dodgers, the Dodgers are paying Bailey $22.5 million to play for the Royals in the A's this season. Nice. Because they gave him a contract where they had to guarantee him all that money, and Mm -hmm. he's being paid that. So the Royals, when they picked him up, he signed for the league minimum, the veterans minimum, which is $550,000 this year. That's just the minimum. There is no veterans. Just the the minimum. The minimum, I guess. Um, so the Royals only had to pay $225,000 for a veteran pitcher, which is very cheap. And now the A's are picking up the remaining $225,000 on the contract. But not to fret, Homer Bailey is still making a mint from the L.A. Dodgers. So great contract, L.A. Homer Bailey loves it. I'm sure uh, he does. But the Royals are off to a, uh, I mean, they're off to a good start for the second half but they're beating up on an absolute terrible team uh, in the Detroit Tigers. They took two out of three from Detroit. Um, The first two games of the series, Jorge Soler hit his 24th and 25th home runs uh, of the season. One was an absolute moonshot to left field. The other one, it it looked like he hit a lazy fly ball to right center, and it was 10 to 12 feet over the fence. And in Kansas City, those fences aren't shallow. They are deep. It ain't Yankee Stadium. It ain't Yankee Stadium. So it's always fun to see Jorge Soler swing the bat, even if he does, um, even if he is one of the top 10 uh, strikeout uh, victims in the major leagues, um, because every time he goes up there, he can hit a ball over 450 feet. So. That's fun. Whit Merrifield had another triple. Mondesi had another triple. So the Royals are still racking up the triples. And one of the local Kansas City Honda dealers is uh, having to drop a lot of money this season to charity because the Royals can really run the bases. So that's fun. I don't I don't think they expected the Royals to hit over 20 triples this season. Probably not. Because they they uh, are giving away a thousand dollars to charity per triple. So. They've already yeah, had to give away a, a fair amount of money. That is that is a fair amount of money, I will say. But hey, it's going to charity, right? So that's good. It's always yeah. good to give money. Everything's to charity. everything's good when it goes to charity. I'm in favor of giving money to charity. But the Twins also got started the second half of the All-Star break. They had a much more interesting series. Um, but before we get there, the Twins players, uh, the two players who played in the game, Jose Burrios and Jorge Polanco. Both uh, had good games. Polanco uh, started at shortstop, had a couple at-bats, had a hit and an RBI in that game. So that was good. Then Jose Bullos pitched an inning. He gave off a leadoff double. But I think deep down he kind of wanted to give up a hit uh, because then he struck out the next two batters and then it allowed him to face his brother-in-law, um, Javi Baez, in the uh, as the final bat of that inning, and he got him to pop out, got his brother-in-law out for the second year in a row in the All-Star game. So I think he just really wanted to face Javi Baez so we could uh, get him out. So good job by the Twins in the All-Star game. Um, and then uh, they had three games against the Indians this weekend, as I said, and the Twins did their job. They took two out of three. 
uh, which is what you wanted. You extended the lead against the Indians on the road in Cleveland, uh, did what they wanted to do. And uh, two big stories of this series, uh, first, or the three big stories, I guess. First one is Taylor Rogers. He's uh, the Twins closer slash high leverage reliever type. He pitched the eighth and ninth inning of a game of the uh, Friday night game after the Twins took a lead in the seventh inning off the Indians bullpen, and then uh, and got the save six outs uh, looked dominant, and then he came in to pitch the ninth inning of um, Saturday's win over the Indians as well. He pitched the ninth inning in that six to two win and looked just as good there. Taylor Rogers. You might not have heard of him. He's actually one of the best relief pitchers in baseball so far this year. He is head over heels the best in win probability added with almost three quarters of a win probability added more than the next reliever. Um, Another big story was Max Kepler, who um, in a previous season before the All-Star break against the Indians, he hit three home runs in three at-bats against Trevor Bauer. Uh, he opened up Saturday's game by hitting home runs in his next two at-bats against Trevor Bauer and made him the third player in MLB history to hit home runs in three consecutive at- or five consecutive at-bats against the same pitcher. So that was a pretty amazing feat. Um, eventually, you'd think that maybe he would just decide to you know, not pitch to Max Kepler so he, uh, he wouldn't uh, give up home runs. But, you know, he is Trevor Bauer. Nobody said he was the smartest person in there. And the third big story was the bullpen. Um, the Twins' bullpen, many have been saying it's uh, had a lot of trouble, and it hasn't been the greatest uh, unit in the world this year, but it definitely showed up this uh, series. None of the starts the Twins had were great, but um, the bullpen uh, only gave up one run all series. That was an eighth-inning home run, seventh-inning home run, seventh or eighth-inning home run given up by Trevor May in Sunday's game in a 3-3 tie. He gave up the home run. So it was a, it was a bad run to give up, but overall the bullpen really did their job. They still need to get somebody at the trade deadline, but overall very good job by the bullpen this weekend. Um, this next week the Twins have two games against the Mets and four games against the Oakland A's all at home as the Twins start a long two-week homestand here. Go Twins, playing well. Still have one of the best records in the American League. Fact. Yep, Cubs that was still. Fact. No, I'm no my turn. Fact. The Cubs are still number one in the National League Central. I mean, yes, fact. that's true. The Cubs are still pretty bad at playing away from Wrigley Field. That's fact. also true. The Pirates are really bad at playing at Wrigley Field. That was my three facts. I, I don't have that stat. In front. All the other stats I had in front well, of me on the MLB standings page, I didn't have that third one, so I can't verify that. That's fair. Well, that comes because the Cubs swept the Pirates in a three-game series at Wrigley right at the end of the All-Star break. That's fair. So, I mean, they were bad just for this one series. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, not, nothing too interesting. Also, Kyle Schwarber got his, like, 20th, 20th home run of the season or something today. Um, okay. Today, as in the day that we're recording this, which is the first game of the Red Series in Wrigley, which it looks like I'm not sure. Right now, it's six to three, bottom of the eighth, and I'm not not too confident at the moment. But I should be. Um, that yeah, I don't really know what else to happen with the Cubs this week because I've been really busy. So, go Cubs, go! And it looks like everything's going pretty okay-ish. I can't think of anything 
crazy that's happening. I guess we'll kind of know what's going to happen with Ben Zobris here soon with the trade deadline coming up. I mean, you know, if if like, they don't activate him, no one's going to want him in a trade, right? Yeah. So you got to activate him and prove he can still hit a baseball after not looking at anything in two months. So we'll kind of see but, what happens there. I guess that's probably the only the most interesting thing player wise. I think that's happening on the team. They could use a sec. The Cubs could use a second baseman. So I'd just as soon take him back before I trade him. But that's that's what you would think. I would agree with that. But I don't know. We'll find out. That's kind of know. what should happen. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And uh, the Cubs have also been helped out by the fact that the Brewers are not playing well. Um, the Cubs have opened up a two-and-a-half game lead here over the Brewers in the NL Central. So despite having the worst winning percentage of any division leader, um, the Cubs still have a two-and-a-half game lead here over the Brewers because the Brewers are also playing some bad baseball. But that's still the most exciting division in baseball. Still keep an eye on that NL Central. Cardinals are starting to pick up some steam. Um, I guess the Pirates did have a little bit of steam before they, you know, lost three straight to the Cubs this weekend. But anyway, still a division to watch. Cardinals, I would keep an eye on the Cardinals. I think they're sneaky good. Might pull like a St. Louis Blues off here, feed off some of that Blues magic and uh, and get that. But as we did mention, the All-Star game happened this week. Hence, you know, the saddest four days in sports. Um, the AL did win the All-Star game four to three. Nobody really cares because the All-Star game is meaningless. It was kind of fun to watch a little bit, but the result was meaningless besides the fact that the American League's better than the National League, but we all already knew that. So we're just going to move on from there. Other interesting notes that happened around baseball. This was probably one of the most touching stories uh, in baseball this season for sure and in a long while. Uh, On Friday in the Angels' first home game back, after um, the death of uh, Tyler Skaggs, um, all the Angels players were um, wearing his number with his name on the back of their jerseys. Um, in the first inning, uh, Mike Trout hits a monster home run, and the Angels score a bunch of runs in the first inning. And in the end, the uh, Angels ended up throwing a no-hitter in that game. And uh, as they left the field, they all took off their jerseys and laid them on the mound as they left the field. There are just so many coincidences in that game to look at. You should just go look it up. It was an amazing story. Really good for the Angels to do that. I really, uh, I really, that, that was fun. That was a good story. That was a good story. Um, the trade deadline's coming up. Remember that there is only one trade deadline this year. It is July 31st. So we had a couple of minor trades that went down this week. Uh, Kyle mentioned Homer Bailey. Andrew Kashner also got traded from the Orioles to the Red Sox. Um, more deals will come. It'll be interesting to see what happens here with the only one trade deadline, but that's something to keep an eye on as the trade deadline comes. But the most interesting thing that happened in baseball um, over the course of Major League Baseball's All-Star break was probably what was going on in the Atlantic League. So for those of you who don't know about the Atlantic League, the Atlantic League is an independent baseball league um, that basically has an agreement with Major League Baseball that they'd put in that Major League Baseball would put in a bunch of high tech cameras and stuff like that in their stadiums and encourage MLB teams to scout that league heavily if the league agreed to become Major League Baseball's rules playground. So because of this, Major League Baseball basically can change the rules in the Atlantic League whenever they want. They've done things like put a 12-second pitch clock in there. They've banned shifts in the Atlantic League to see what that does. But they really have two rules that are interesting. 
Um, we'll start with the one that's more outlandish, and that's that uh, stealing first base. I know many of you have heard the saying, you can never <clears throat> steal first base. But now that's not exactly true, because in the, in the Atlantic League, you can now steal first base. Kyle, you want to fill us in on how you can steal first base in the Atlantic League? Well, can't you steal first base on any like pass ball or wild pitch? Exactly. Yes, in the Atlantic League, you can now you can now um, you can basically run to first base anytime you want during an at bat. I mean, it doesn't have to be a pass ball. Or the catcher could catch the ball, and you could decide to run to first base if you wanted. Is my you might not have good odds of making it. No, you'd, but it, you'd have my, better odds of making it if you went on a pass ball or a wild pitch. Right, but it's my understanding you could go anytime you wanted. So. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. That's not going to make it in the MLB. But about it this weekend, about it did become the first ever player to steal first base. So that's just a fun little fact. The second and more interesting thing that they're implementing, and this is one I want to get your you guys' opinion on, is they're the first one to do a full electronic strike zone or robot umpire, as it's called. So basically, the way it works is the umpire has like an an Apple AirPod or some sort of headphone in his ear. And he's on like a phone call with like the, the press box scoring booth or whatever, where the, the, the machine is that says whether it's a ball or a strike. And basically they, they tell him whether he calls a ball and a strike or a strike on a given pitch. So basically it's all being done by computers. Now the home plate umpire is only there to relay that information. What do you guys think about that? You like it? You don't like it? Want to see it in the major leagues? Don't want to see it in the major leagues? What are your thoughts? I hate it for the fact that if this is actually implemented and we're like, if it's the World Series and there's a pitch that's borderline and it's called a ball by the robot, I mean, I guess it is what it is. It's just like an umpire calling a, a clear ball a strike, I guess. But what if communications fail and they can't continue the game because the game has to be dictated by the robot? Well, so it doesn't have to though. Right. So this thing has, so there is a third thing that the, the robot could mm-hmm. tell the umpire and that did not track. So okay. the umpire still, and then the umpire has to make the call as he saw it. So the umpire is still observing, but he only makes the call when the booth tells him, we did not track that pitch, so we do not have a call on it. It's also so that the would be the option in that case. They have that. They also have the responsibility for hit by pitch, check yeah. swings, and and the foul tips too. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's going to be super awkward to watch because there's obviously going to be a delay between. There is a little bit of a delay too. <laughs> there are definitely still some kinks to work out, but the concept. I don't know. I like the concept at least. I think I think it could eventually get there, but it's going to need a lot of testing before it can actually be implemented in the majors. Yeah, I feel um, like the the best way for MLB to actually try this out if they want to is obviously spring training, but then it gets a little bit expensive because then you have to retrofit all of your spring training ballparks with right. it mm-hmm. instead of on top of what then you'll have to do for your major league ballparks. Well, most of the major league parks already have it at this point, but oh. yeah. I guess, but so I'm still a little confused on how. So it's it's they're utilizing what's called the TrackMan system, right? Mm-hmm. TrackMan, yep. all one word. And it sounds like to me, from what I've read, it uses a combination of Doppler radar and lasers to yes, to track where the pitch is at, right? Yep. And 
I have a huge problem with the TrackMan system because the raw data coming in. So first of all, let's back up again. Some people will say, oh, you know, strike zones vary based on the pitcher's height, you know, where they're standing and whatnot. I mean, the batter's height, not the pitcher's height. Oh, that's what I meant. You know what I meant. You know what I meant. Doesn't yeah. Matter the pitcher's standing as long as it's not causing a bock. So, that's a bock. Um, so, so they do adjust the, the strike zone based on the pitcher with the TrackMan system. With the, the butt Jesus. With the batter. With the batter. They, they, they adjust the strike zone based on the budget, which is, you know, obviously one one issue that's solved there. But the the raw data coming into the, this computerized system isn't – it's not 100% accurate. MLB umpires are also not 100% accurate. I understand that. But you also have the concept of you have nobody to yell at when the call is wrong if you think that it's wrong. You know, you can't yell at the umpire and just kind of get it over with. You're mad at, at the system, which is complete crap. And yeah. this has happened earlier in the year, too, where I think it was Ron Culpa was the umpire behind home plate at the time. And he called a controversial um, third strike. And everyone's like, oh, that was too low. The, the, TV, the TV strike zone said it was a ball by a few inches. They process that the TrackMan system's data at the end of every game. Um, to get a more accurate picture of what the pitches were actually like. And that was a case where the track man originally called it a ball, but after further processing, it was actually a strike. So how many of those are going to happen throughout the season? How many times is the system going to call some of these really close pitches off, and then we find out later on that they were actually strikes or actually balls, whatever they were opposite called on the field? I, I just I think you, you're moving too much of the human element from the game. I, I'm not a fan of the system at all. I, I don't think it should be implemented in the MLB. At most, maybe make, I don't know, allow allow one ball or strike call to be reviewable, just kind of like how the current review, review uh, terms are right now, where you have one shot, you lose it. If you're wrong, you have to keep it if you're right type of deal, but with balls and strikes. I don't know. I don't know how to go about it, but I don't think robot umps are the answer. Okay. I don't like it. There's, there's definitely some kinks that'll work out. It's not it's not like coming next year by any means no, in no. baseball. So in the major leagues at least. So it'll be something to keep an eye on. And hopefully the system will get better too. If it gets more reliable, then maybe it'll get better. But for now, probably still needs to get some kinks worked out. But it did lead to an interesting fact. Um Frank Viola, former major league pitcher, became the first ever person to get ejected for arguing with a uh, robot umpire. Uh, he disagreed with some of the calls the robot was making, and he yelled at the home plate umpire about it, and the home plate umpire tossed him out. I mean, it wasn't all that exciting. You can watch the video if you want. Um, there's some profanity in it, so be aware. But it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting to watch somebody get tossed for, in the end, I guess, arguing with a robot. So Frank, Frank Viola ejected arguing with a robot. You could look it up. You'd find it. So. He was he was right. He was in the right with the argument. He was. Though, in my the opinion. robot was wrong this time. The robot was wrong. But what what can you do? <sighs> anyway, um, we do have a strange with two baseball injury this week too. It's Ken Giles, um, closer for the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, possible trade target before this. Um, he ended up on the DL with a second elbow soreness here in the past month. This time he said he was getting a massage during the All-Star break and his massage therapist did something to like a nerve or something in his elbow. I think this is the second time we've had a baseball injury with somebody screwing up something with their massage. Yep, Players Carlos just, Correa. Yeah. Players, 
players should just start getting better massages and then uh, we won't have that problem anymore. That's what I say. Fix your massage therapist so you don't get hurt having a massage and can't get traded to the twins who really need bullpen help. Or I guess everybody everybody who's using robots now, just get a robot massage therapist. Robot massage. (laughs) I heard uh, Robert Kraft knew of a pretty good massage parlor down in Florida that he go to. I wonder if he has their business card. (laughs) He might. You could... We'll, we'll we'll suggest that. We'll suggest Somebody check that. his pants. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one more special segment that we're going to bring you this week that's out of the norm. Instead of Mike's Stupid Rules, we're going to bring you a special edition of Kyle's Stupid Rules. Kyle has a very rule, a rule he wants to educate you all on. So we will go to a special edition of Kyle's Stupid Rules momentarily. Kyle, what's your all stupid rule this week? All right. I'm very excited about this segment. So I gave you a little tease see, about this see, earlier. See, you guys all make fun of me when I do the rules, but now that you're doing your rule, you get super excited about it. See, it's I'm not mine. super excited you can, about You can it. no longer make fun of me. It's like mine. It's not rules. yours. You can so no longer make fun of me about it. That's all, right, all I'm saying. So all I'm, I'm going saying. to educate you on a new rule in tennis that was implemented at the start of this season. Um, it's actually evolved a little bit throughout the year. So it first started um, at the Australian Open. So the Australian Open is the first Grand Slam tournament in the ATP Tour um, for tennis. So um, when I told you all the score in the five set in the epic five set match between Djokovic and Federer, the fifth the fifth and final game ended in a score of thirteen to twelve with a 7-3 tiebreak. So prior to this rule being implemented, the fifths, in the fifth set of all Grand Slam tournaments, players um, have to win by... It's the first to six in the fifth set, but you have to win by two. So in this case, it was back and forth between, Ro- or between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. It was tied six all, so they had to continue. Um Originally, when this rule was implemented, um, the comp- it was supposed to be a first to 10 in the Australian Open at the beginning of the year in January. This was never reached because that Australian Open didn't actually reach a fifth set. Um, so it was a first to 10. And then if you win, if you're ahead by two any time before you reach 10 all, so 10 game or 10 apiece, then you would win. But if the match got to 10 apiece in the Australian Open, then it would go into another tiebreaker. Um, In this case, it's the first to seven win by two. So it cuts down on the length of the match because what happens is when you're doing um, the fifth set, each time you get another point or another, you win another game, you have to go, you have to go through 15, 30 deuce or 40 and then then you win so you have to go through all of those points in order to win the the game um but when you do a tie break if you win the point you win the game so then you get a point um in the tie break so this obviously speeds up the match this was the first time that this rule was implemented in wimbledon but this time it evolved and morphed into 12 so that's why you see the final score is 13 to 12. So both Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer reached 12 games apiece in the final fifth set, um, in which point this forced the tiebreaker to come into play. 
in which case Novak Djokovic beat Roger Federer 7-3. to So both both players reached 12 games apiece in the final set, so they went into a tiebreaker. Djokovic reached, reached seven points first in the tiebreaker, and he won by two. So it was called at 7-3 in the tiebreaker, and Novak Djokovic won 13-12. to that was Very a nice. pretty long-winded rule. That was. My rules are a lot shorter. You need to make. You, you've got a lot to do before we uh, give you more rules additions. You got to be quicker with those. Come on, Kyle. Be better. Oh, There's a lot kinda, to it. Be better. That rule kind of sounds like. The, there's this like the thing in European, the European League soccer, where. I don't even know if I'm about to explain it. That's what it reminded me of. I have no idea if they're even remotely the same, but. That kind of like I don't think there's much brain. the same between tennis and soccer. No, but I mean, how nope, the scoring works, how the, how the tiebreaker and scoring works towards you the end of the like, You could fit a, a lot of tennis balls in a soccer ball. Not I that mean, many. I mean, we're going to move on. We're, we're, <laughs> I, I don't, we're just going to move on. I'm going to tell you why all of you are bad at write that down predictions. We had three predictions come off the board. Well, technically we had two predictions come off the board this week. And one come off the board last week that I forgot to talk about last week. Because um, you're bad? Yes, that one was my bad. Um, I forgot that Wyatt had to write that down prediction that said the U.S. would win the Women's World Cup. Um, as If you remember from last week, that did happen. So for that, Wyatt gets a ding, 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 ding. ding. Um, Kyle had two predictions come off the board. His first one was that Whit Merrifield would get a hit in the All-Star game. He went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts after we replaced Mike Trout. Oh, with one strikeout, sorry. As he replaced Mike Trout in center field. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. And his other prediction from last week, he predicted that Rafa Nadal would win Wimbledon. Uh, as Kyle informed you, he lost in the semifinals. That is not winning. Losing is not winning. So for that, Kyle also gets a nah. nah. That will bring us to our predictions for this week. Kyle, what do you got for us? So my prediction from this week goes back to tennis. I'm on a tennis theme today, obviously. Um, Roger Federer will come back from losing Wimbledon and win the U.S. Open. Um, I believe that is in September, in the middle of September. Okay. Um, Probably a triple home run. Triple or home run? What do you think, Wyatt? Federer is good. Yeah, but so is, is Nadal. going to win the U.S. Open? Yeah, so is Nadal, Nadal and so is Djokovic. And there's also the field in there. Triple or home run? Triple. Between those two, it has to be a triple. It's a huge field. All right. I mean, it's the same size field as any other tournament. That's fair. It's not called a... Oh, never mind. I'm dumb. Mike, you go. We're not talking about the thing they play on. That's yeah, called a court. That's called a court, although they do play on a grass court, which I guess <laughs> could be considered a field. I realized that as soon as I as soon as soon I opened my mouth, and I was like, oh, gosh. That's, that. Mike, go. Your turn. Your go. Yeah. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go into the world of amateur sports here. We're going to go into uh, my slow-pitch softball league here. My Tuesday slow pitch softball team will win a game in the uh, in the postseason tournament that starts this week. Um, for the record, just to give you guys some background, um, that team is the nine seed in this tournament. Um, we are three and thirteen on the season. We have scored the least runs in the league of any team and given up the second most runs of any team. Um, we haven't won a tournament game in any of the other prior two league uh, times we've been in this years we've been in this league. 
we're not very good. There's your background. What do you give me for that? I say we're going to win a game. I'm going to give you a triple because triple. I believe miracles. All right, I'll take it. There are the angels miracles. in the outfield. <laughs> uh, no, the I, I'm, in the, I'm in the outfield. I'm in the outfield. That's it. Wyatt, what do you got? Since you made your prediction about yourself, I'm going to make mine about myself. I'm going to say I'm not going to come in last place for the feature race on Friday. So I, I'm going to be racing go-karts on Friday. I haven't made it out yet this season. I've never even raced in a cage cart before. I've only raced uh, non-roll cage type vehicles. So most likely I'm going to end up upside down at some point in time. But I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm not going to get last place in the feature race, the 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 finale, I guess, the A main. I I would give you a triple for that. I'll Just give you because... a triple. I have faith in your driving ability <laughs> because I've I've ridden with you before and you like to go vroom vroom. It's a little I, bit different. No, I don't know. I have track, I have but... faith in your ability to not have your engine blow up and I feel like somebody else as well. Uh, that that's fair. I'm more concerned about winding up upside down somewhere in the infield. If well, you end up upside down, just like rock back and forth until you end up right side up and keep going. It doesn't quite work that way. But if someone's engine blows up before you go over, then you're not last. So what you need to do now that you have this prediction <laughs> on the line is play for placement. <laughs> no. <laughs> because oh, in this case, mm. if you're last, you, you, you just suck. So, I mean, I do, so it's okay. I've never even raced in this class before. Adult, adult wing. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Do we have a prediction from Josh? Yes, we do have a prediction from Josh. He is staying on his Brewers Home bandwagon, and he is saying that uh, Christian Yelich will hit three home runs this week. Is Christian Yelich even playing? I know he had a bad back. Is he playing? I don't even know. <laughs> Let's, uh, make sure he's, research. let's make sure he's playing before. Does Josh even watch games right now? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yes, Yelich is playing. He is two yeah, for four yeah. on Monday with a strikeout. So, yes, okay. he is playing. Um, I, let's just give him a triple and I was give everybody say, a triple this yep, week. We'll get okay. four triples this week. I'm totally four triples fine with this that. Week works I like it. Let's do it. I like it. it. And all since right. we got Josh's prediction in and we have four triples between all four of us this week, that means we have four prediction in, predictions in. <laughs> that means that we are at the end of the Write That Down prediction segment, which also implies that we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 39 of the 8311 cast. We had a great time bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig and Wyatt Teeter. Make sure you tune in next week again to allow us to bring you all things sports from your favorite premier sports podcast, the 8311 cast. Make sure to share our sportiness with all of your friends so we can also give them all things sports to their beautiful ears. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.